0: I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. We're at an exciting time in the mobility sector, with new technology causing us to continually question the way that we move both goods and people. My job is to talk to the individuals leading this revolution, and to investigate the challenges and opportunities we face as we develop safer and more sustainable mobility. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating. Today, I'm joined by Bob Shervelli. Bob brings valuable experience as a former VP of Human Resources and Chief Labor Counsel with large automotive organizations, and has spent the past two decades as the president of his consulting company, Strategic Labor and Human Resources. This discussion certainly comes from a different angle than the others I've had so far, and it's one that I've particularly enjoyed. We covered a lot of ground, including topics such as the fight to attract and retain specialized talent, the critical interaction between branding and human resources, the importance of leaders and executives responding to the COVID crisis, and much more. Please enjoy my conversation with Bob Cheravelli. Today, we welcome on Bob Cheravelli. Bob, thank you for taking the time today. Thank you. So to start, if you don't mind, could you please...
1: So if someone asks you what you do, how do you respond? We help companies uh, with complex unsolved problems that are people-related. Human resources, labor relations, compensation and benefits. And I practice as a labor and employment lawyer, so sometimes it goes in that direction too.
0: Okay. And what, what does your work typically look like then?
1: Well, on the talent side... We help companies find executives through our retained search. And we also help companies devise compensation and benefit plans, or what some people call total reward plans, to drive performance in organizations. And we do some global management in um, other countries as well.
0: Okay. And how how exactly did you get into that?
1: Mm. Well, I'm actually doing today what I wanted to do when I was 15. I've always been interested in human resources and labor relations. I was trained as a labor economist. I went to Cornell's Graduate School of Industrial Labor Relations. And then after law school, I was in a series of corporate executive roles, culminating as CHRO of a large automotive supplier. And then about 21 years ago, I opened up strategic labor and human resources.
0: Gotcha. So I know you've had a, uh, a long, long career in this space. Can you speak to how, how labor relations and, and particularly you touched on the, the talent part, which I think we'll talk about um, a good amount here, both attraction and, and retention. Um, but so can you touch on how that's changed over time?
1: Well, clearly labor relations has changed over the last 30 or 40 years in pretty significant ways. But at the base of everything we do is how do you unleash the talent of the people working in your organization? They could be a production worker. They could be the CEO. Everybody has something to contribute. And it's our job to help companies find that path to how they get that talent working for their organizations.
0: Yeah, it's interesting i'm sure there's a ton of way that that manifests itself so uh yeah so we're this the future of mobility is what we're focused on here Uh, and really that means a ton of different things you touched on the automotive um, oem experience the full supply chain um, but mobility really has changed significantly over the last five years to the last 10 years with some of the bigger tech players silicon valley participating global economy um, taking a a bigger stage here. So when we think of, I guess, the talent pool in the mobility sector, or if you want to pick a specific part of the mobility sector, that's fine. What would you say are the the greatest challenges that companies are facing today?
1: Well, first off, we would be remiss if we didn't say we're going to be measuring today and going forward as either pre-COVID or Mm -hmm. post-COVID.
0: Good point. So this, this is May 2020 for context, which is right in the heart of the, the COVID crisis. But yeah, please continue.
1: Yeah, we're going to be, that's going to be an anchor in all of our lives. And um, pre-COVID, all, the, all of the auto companies, whether they were the OEM or the suppliers, or you can pick almost any industry, needed to innovate at some level because disruption, disruption was occurring all over the place somebody comes up with a new idea, in our case, something uh, in the electrification area or mobility area. To that, we now have to add that we are experiencing disruptions economically, and nobody quite knows what those economic disruptions will be. But every CEO is concerned, actually every executive who's managing an organization should be concerned with those levels of disruption and how the people working in the organization either presently or that will be working in the organization can help lead the path around these disruptive events. Hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah it's, it's 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 interesting. Uh the the level of uncertainty at least from from my perspective is is really unprecedented right now and that so right now in Michigan we're locked down, um, expected for production and people to return to work within the next few weeks. But it, it really isn't clear exactly how that will ha- how that will happen, yeah, the rate at which it will happen and what the the work environments will look like for the the months following this or even sometimes or even potentially looking at, at twelve to eighteen months from now. So do you have any thoughts about what specific areas are going to say, become more important to employees for both attracting and, and retaining um, technical talent?
1: Well, clearly in the area of talent, <clears throat> keeping, who, keeping those people that are important for your, the viability of your company now and in the future is absolutely essential. And looking at the next wave of talent out there, maybe they work for another company, maybe they're getting out of school now, maybe they're progressing in their career in ways that um, a company today would want to take advantage of it. But as we go through this COVID period where there's gonna be economic disruption and people are really thinking about you know, who's gonna come back to work, companies cannot lose sight of the fact that they still have to tend to those folks that are going to be the innovators and the people who are going to handle disruption or be the disruptors in the industry. Hmm. And so recruitment still has to be going on. Organizational design still has to be going on.
0: Yeah. So how do you think, uh, so I know one of the challenges and a lot of engineering organizations right now, as well as other functions are moving forward in some areas, but in other areas kind of on hold and not, not in a hurry to, I'd say, grow the size of their team if they're even able to maintain the same size of their team. Um, so, how how do you think about, I guess, that challenge? Trying to balance innovating, um, maintaining talent, continuing to to find the people that you'll need to, I guess, drive your company uh, going forward, with also the financial impact right now as companies are, are struggling with cash flows and guessing. Um, yeah, a significant decrease in, in revenue in the short, short term?
1: Well, resources, financial resources, really are going to be stressed, whether it's cash or profitability or, you know, picking up new clients. But our, our clients, the folks that are running the organizations, whether they're a CEO or a COO, they are still very concerned about what their company is going to look like in the future and how they have to bring in the right kinds of people. Now, let's say you're in a mobility startup, you're, or you're a legacy company that's trying to open up this new market. The COVID restructuring cannot stop that. They still have to have somebody in the organization who's thinking about it. And if mm-hmm. there's some great engineer out there, some great designer, some great innovator out there, the company has to be thinking how do we create a relationship with that young man or that young woman or that experienced executive? and make our company more attractive to them. It would be a serious mistake. It would be a serious mistake, especially for world-class companies, to not be focusing on what that talent looks like and how they connect with them.
0: Yeah, and that, that brings up a good question of how how do we connect with with people, particularly given that some of the uh, more traditional mediums, something as simple as going out to lunch, you can't do it right now, or um, things like, yeah, conferences where you might meet people, you know, career fairs, if you're talking to college um, students, etc. So yeah, how do you think about the most effective ways for, for companies to build those relationships and whether it's, I guess, brand building and, and getting themselves out there in, in that way, or even the individual level? How, how do you think of, or how should companies think of how they're doing that right now?
1: So as we build talent in the the companies that we work in, we need to first off look at it it as an investment. Mm -hmm. It should not be looked at purely a cost. And with every investment, even though we'd like it to pay back dividends or return of that investment immediately, we know it's going to be a little bit longer um, strategy. And so one of the things we try and help our clients do is understand – what the basic building blocks or the overarching strategy should be and that means going back to fundamentals of solid human resource strategy tactics and fundamentals it means having that line executive whether it's a general manager or a c-level person being the owner of that um, that talent strategy and having your human resource executive as the architect so now we know we are morphing into other types of connections, whether it's a video conference or a phone call or some other thing that's going to happen that we can't even think of right now because we're not through this whole COVID experience. And then saying, where does that critical talent exist? So if we're looking at an innovator, a technical person, a great engineer, we have to have nurtured and continue to nurture where that talent exists it's going to be in universities it's going to be in established companies it's going to be in startups some of these startups are well-funded and some of them are not Mm -hmm. then how do we increase our chance of attracting you know acquiring that talent and keeping them that i think is the basic strategic framework we need to be looking at whether it's pre-covid where we are today or post-covid
0: Got you. Yeah, interesting thoughts. And you touch on uh, the strategy for, for how we're going to define and retain these people. And I'd be curious to hear. So, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on uh, what it is that is attractive to employees. Uh, and we can take a, a pre-COVID work look, or, um, or or in general. But I mean, I can think of anything ranging from you know compensation, benefic- benefit. Um, enjoyment, fulfillment of their work, the people they're working with, brand purpose, uh, et et cetera. What what type of these, uh, these attributes do you think are most important for retaining talent?
1: Well, I think it's important to have a cohesive strategic architecture. So any one of the things that you just mentioned could be a building block within that, but to just do one isolated from a a broader scale strategy in my estimation wouldn't be as effective. You know, we, let's say we're going to look for a great engineer or a great inventor. I, I'm going to be generalizing here a little bit, but a lot of those candidates really are somewhat risk averse. And so even before you start talking about compensation or any of that other stuff, you have to realize like most scientists or most, um, technical people what they almost have a vocational approach to what they're doing and they are not willing to take unreasonable risks. you might take a CEO and he'll jump uh, between companies actually as a risk taker but a technical person or an engineer or an innovator might not and you have to realize that that critical talent can be confused about a couple things one, Let's say they're in a job. When they're in that job, they see no risk. Then the other category, moving to a job, and the only thing they can see is risk. So one of the things corporations that we work for and that maybe you'll be talking to need to do is understand that relationship between risk-averseness and um, in a current job and mm-hmm. going to a new one. You know, if you think about it for a second, um, there were some really great companies like Fisker, Karma, Faraday, all very, very attractive to somebody who wanted to do something exciting.
0: Yeah, but, exciting they didn't
1: really, yeah, but when, that, when that technical person went there, they didn't really make a good assessment about the, what the risk of those companies were going to be. Mm-hmm. And if they're in a job right now that they really like, they are going to be very hesitant unless the acquiring company can show them something exciting. Pay and benefits is just table stakes.
0: And so when you're talking about risk, is it primarily job security is, is the primary risk or are there other factors there as well?
1: Well, it's going to change with each person. And so the company uh, who's trying to find this talent has to have that conversation and understand it from the perspective of the candidate they're looking at, mm-hmm. and help the candidate understand that being in a current job isn't without risk, and coming to a new job doesn't mean a bunch of risk. It means that what they're going to is exciting. It's going to be that something that the person is called called to, almost like a vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those kind of things are very important.
0: Okay, and. Yeah, not not sure exactly how to phrase, but the the question I'd like to ask is the role of individualization here. So you, you mentioned, for example, your your typical engineer thinks one way, your typical CEO thinks one way, your typical person in a given generation thinks one way versus other other ways, and I can imagine that so you, you can't you can't individualize or you have to have a somewhat of a general strategy to start, right? Because you don't know everybody who you're reaching out to. However, as you're building relationships with individuals or you're retaining individuals, is, is it accurate to say that catering to that individual specific needs and interests become increasingly more important or is it uh and, and again, meandering questions, hopefully you can make your way through it, but, yeah, basically the question of balancing generalization versus catering to an individual.
1: So to the individual who's a potential candidate, it's all about individualization. But we all work in big corporations, and we know we can't do something so specific for one individual and have it destroy the rest of the structure we have in the corporation. Um, if we were to do that, then the kinds of things we lean on in our um, HR structures and corporations would be destroyed. So let me give you an example. Um, I said that a competitive wage and benefit offer is just table stakes. But let's say they come in and their offer is so different from everybody else's, it actually destroys the ecosystem of that current human resource architecture. Maybe there are wage compression issues, or maybe there aren't good succession patterns. So a company needs to make sense of what that individual wants and how it fits into their overarching corporate structure, whether it's an HR structure or something different. And as we talk about talent, you mentioned something a little earlier, you used the word relationship. As we think about how we're going to fill that pipeline of talented people either we wanna keep or that we're gonna keep in the future, we need to think about this with a slightly longer term range. You know, there are some really great companies that start this pipeline very, very early on. Sometimes mm-hmm. with high school achievement scholarships, sometimes with college uh, rotational programs. Maybe there's even some relationship you build over time with a young engineer or a technical person where you um, put them into some kind of loan school loan repayment program. But there is definitely a series of steps a corporation should think about as they say, how do we create this pipeline over the long-term? It's like mm-hmm. if you plant a, a crop in the, in the uh, springtime. You have to tend to it so that you can get the harvest later in the season.
0: Gotcha, yeah, it makes complete sense. Uh, one. So one question I have, thinking about the importance of uh, of brand in in human relation, labor relation. So for for an example, I'm thinking of a hot company such as Tesla, right? If we're, if we're thinking automotive, that's a hot, exciting company, uh, superstar CEO, all over the place. I doubt at most universities around the country they need to do much work to have a, a full slate of people who want to line up and come and work at Tesla right out of college. Right. So, so I, I guess the, the question or where I'm trying to get is what, where's that relationship between marketing and recruitment? Is that, is that something that you see as inherently they're linked or is Tesla or a company like that just happen to be a unique example?
1: Personally, I think it's inherently linked. For somebody who wants excitement in their career, having that cool factor or whatever you want to call it, whatever that adjective is, is absolutely essential. You know, if you think about a hundred-year-old company like Ford and the work they're doing in Detroit with the um, Central Train Station and Corktown, that has a very, very cool vibe. And a lot of young people coming out of great universities and even people who want to have a change mid-career are saying, boy, this is really something I want to be a part of. It's almost that mission kind of approach. And if it is not attractive at a very visceral level, it, you won't even get to the meat and bones of it when it comes time to talk about um, the more in-depth discussion.
0: And so I guess theoretic- theoretically, those those steps are also at the same time Maybe not directly, but I think has some impact on car sales at the later on, right? As they're building, building that Ford brand, people, especially who are familiar with these Detroit projects, as you mentioned, can be excited about what they're doing in the community. And it's just one part, but yeah, I think I would tend to agree with you that there's a relationship there.
1: But you know, you bring up Tesla, and there's a lot of things Tesla and those kind of new age companies can learn from legacy companies. Just as there's a lot that our legacy companies can learn from the Teslas of the world. It's almost like a marriage of Silicon Valley with old line manufacturing um, in the automotive industry.
0: Can you think of anything, any specific learnings that you could see from, from Silicon Valley back to kind of the, the old world?
1: Well, something that's very obvious is in the new startups, Organizational structures are very flat. There's a lot of flexibility, um, and they are in urban areas where young people or people who are excited about those kind of areas want to go. Um, To live in or around Silicon Valley, it's very expensive for a young engineer or a mid-career engineer. Mm -hmm. To live here in the Midwest, it's like a bargain, and they can yeah. get much of the same kind of excitement. You know, you take a look at a, um, a, a relative newcomer uh, like Rivian. People are very excited about that company. Yep. And it is really combining the best of legacy companies with the best of the Silicon Valley companies like Tesla.
0: Yeah, and I guess geographically, much closer to... Detroit, right, the big three, and also gives access to the talent pool who've been working in the automotive industry for a long time.
1: Well, and, you know, we have a lot of talent in the Midwest. And a, a mid-career person or a young person that goes out to Silicon Valley he's going to live in a small apartment for a mm-hmm. lot of money. And when they have vacation time, they're going to vacation in Detroit because that's where their family is. But if that same person comes here, has a reasonable cost of living, they can vacation anywhere they want in the world and not live in a one-bedroom studio.
0: Yeah. Yeah, assuming travel gets back up and running, which I'm sure it eventually will. Mm -hmm. Um, But so the related question, what do you think – so, everyone, more or less, or most people are working remotely and have been for the last few weeks due to this COVID situation. Do you see that impact, or, um, or maybe even independent? Do you, do you see remote work as becoming something that is, become, is more and more attractive and is an important part of attracting and keeping talent?
1: Uh, I think it's absolutely going to be a game changer, and I think it will be something that attracts um, somebody to your company. Um, If you take the generation of the 60s and 70s and 80s, they were interested in careers. If you take a look at what folks from the 90s and beyond want, they are trying to craft a life. The, The prior generation trying to craft a career This generation is trying to craft a life.
0: Can you expand on that at all?
1: So um, when I talk to younger folks there, when I say younger folks, people up to about 35, Mm -hmm. they know how much it costs for them to live a decent life. And they are very interested in the work they perform. Many of them want some level of a mission in their work, you know, making the world safer through automobiles or looking for the next invention. They're not looking to become the CEO necessarily. They are more interested, once they have fulfilled some satisfaction in their job, to know how do I live a reasonable life? And if I don't have to commute an hour or two hours in a car, and get the same stuff done through technologies like Zoom and other video conferencing, they will very much warm up to it. If you don't have to bolt two pieces of uh, parts together, if you don't have to do the actual lifting in a plant, but rather you're in one of the uh, professions that really requires you to analyze and think and communicate, I think this will be a major game changer and it'll be something that it it'll definitely attract people, but if you don't have it, it will definitely detract people.
0: Hmm. So yeah, I guess you had mentioned previously compensation and benefits playing as, as kind of table stakes even give you a chance. And it, at least what it sounds like here is that you're thinking over time, remote work might, or is tre- trending in that same, uh, in that same direction, and that it's going to be an expectation, and um, at least some del- or some level of flexibility is going to be an expectation. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, a year ago, we did a survey of C-level folks in the automotive industry, and they pointed out a couple things that I think are worth talking about here. For the C-level folks, what was absolutely on the top of the hit parade was how would disruption affect their business. And pre-COVID, we were thinking about innovative disruption. Now we're thinking about economic disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, second on their list was how did we become an agile organization? And third on their list was operational excellence. Much of this deals with what companies in the mobility sector talk about. And the last thing they were concerned about a year a year, a year and a half ago was profitability. They were all doing quite well. Hmm. And when you looked at those four things with business disruption being the biggest concern of a CEO, um, they said the war on talent was how they were going to deal with it. They had to somehow increase worker or employee engagement, productivity, and satisfaction. And they they had to have excellence in their operational outcomes. Now, here's what I found really a little disappointing. They did not have a lot of confidence in their current HR leadership in being able to overcome those challenges that that were worrying them. It is now time, because of what the economy might be putting on us, to search out those kind of leaders that can connect um, the war for talent with innovative people-related or HR strategies. And I think CEOs and those C-level executives really just have to challenge their HR leadership more.
0: Well, interesting, thought, definitely powerful. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good data. And I think, as you mentioned, it's, it's relevant from a couple of years ago and then probably even more now. So thanks for sharing. Uh, so I guess if, I'd like to quickly transition to a few what I would call uh, rapid fire questions here. And yeah, you don't necessarily need a, a perfectly quick answer, but the questions are short. Um, so the first one, what is your favorite book or favorite books that you've read?
1: Um, anything that Eli Goldratt wrote on theory of constraints is absolutely central to everything I do. Good to great. I love that book. And then I've been doing a lot of reading on war strategy.
0: Any, uh, actually, I, I just revisited The Art of War uh, two, two weeks ago or so, but I, I'm not definitely not skilled uh, fully in war strategy.
1: Anything in particular that's been striking you there? Um, there were two books. One was by um, Little, and he talked about um, the war the, in Second World war, Second World war, where the best... Um, military strategists won all of their um, most important battles without shooting a bullet. And the other one was the uh, Two Ocean War, where in World War II, um, the Allies were combating uh, enemies in the Pacific and the Atlantic. And the complexity of how you put all that together really impressed me.
0: Hmm. Do you see much uh, overlap in the way the strategy is conducted in, in a war situation versus the way organizations are set up and conduct themselves?
1: Not necessarily as a war strategy, but I do think um, military, the military and military executives for hundreds of years have been the greatest strategists that we can learn from in a business st- uh, setting.
0: Hmm. Yeah, in- interesting. Um, so second question for you personal hobby so what outside of your work what what's something that you like to do
1: i spend almost all my time outside of work and family um performing music really what what, uh, what type of music what do you play uh, do you do? rhythm and blues and jazz
0: okay and so we you just play?
1: We, we just uh finished a three-day gig at what used to be called cobo hall for autorama we did really? a Blues Brother tribute um, for Autorama.
0: Huh. And what's your role in that performance?
1: Well, they definitely don't let me sing, but I get to play uh, Barry Sachs and flute. Oh, awesome.
0: Yeah, it sound, sounds like a good time. I'm, if you can see right outside the screen here, I have a uh, electric piano that I, I still play around with a bit. and I played a good good amount growing up. So, yeah, d- definitely enjoy the music. Uh, and. Then, I guess final question, and then I'll ask you more of a wrap-up question. So, if if you think of your own strengths, or if if someone, or if you don't like talking about yourself, if someone close to you were to describe, what is your greatest strength that has allowed you to, I, I guess, build or make the impact you've wanted to make and had the success that
1: you've had so far? Well, um, a number of years ago. I actually set down what my mission was in the work I do as it relates to working people, from the CEO down to the lowest person on the totem pole. And because work is such a big part of our lives, I really want to contribute at some level to the joy and value people derive from work. And I think people would say that um, I try to live that mission as best I can. And beyond that, um, I have a certain level of focus and organization that people comment on.
0: Awesome, thank, yeah, that's, I've, I can definitely see, uh, I mean, it's, it's all throughout this conversation, but the impact of mission and, uh, and, and a purpose on an organization, but then also on the individual level. Uh, so yeah, thank you for sharing. So. Final question, more of a wrap-up and somewhat open-ended. So so two parts. One, where can people find you or get in touch, touch with you, whether it's social media, however, um, website, et cetera. And then the second part is just if they have any other final thoughts, things we didn't touch on, or anything you want to leave us with.
1: Well, if they want to know a little more about the practice and me, they can check me out on LinkedIn or hrstrategy.biz. Uh, if they want to call me, I'm always – um, open for a call, 248-681-0777, or they can email me, robert at hrstrategy.biz.
0: Great. and Awesome. Well, Bob, this has been a lot of fun. I, I really appreciate you taking the time um, to talk, and yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing all your thoughts.
1: Thank you so much. It was great.
0: Thanks. I'm Brandon Bartnock, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast.